Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolak, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and perhaps the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, the gold standard in ghost hunting, the most infamous Steve Parsons. Good afternoon. How are you in frozen North America? That's not cold. It's only 18 degrees. Oh, apparently you were going to have some sort of, something, what's it, a polar vortex, whatever one of those ah, is? Not us, we're special. Not, uh, well, yes. Oh, I, can I just, before we go on, can I just ask one quick question from the chat room already? Uh, is it possible for the chat room to call in with their questions? Who are you do, we have a num- do we have a number for people to call in? Uh, only in the US. Uh, well, do you want to give it out? Not really. Okay. 877-864-4869 or 877-864-4869 there you go or 877-468 I'll forget it I've already forgotten it good so, good uh, uh, a good Christmas good New Year yeah yeah so what was that all about uh, somebody wants to ask a question but apparently it's so long they can't type it into the chat room and they would like to call it in and apparently our sound is off whatever that means really hmm that's interesting anyways uh, oh for we... Parrot X what I don't know I'm just reading what they're telling us well don't read pay attention to the show My I God. am paying attention I'm taking care of our guests in the chat room a proper host now and pay attention to the show I am I'm looking after those in the chat room as well fine uh, anyway, Steve, uh, you uh, have a gentleman on our show, which is interesting because I actually contacted the SPR uh, and, and got this other bloke, I forget his name, but uh, about coming on the show. And then next thing I know, you steal my guest and he's on the show. What the hell? Uh, no, this this is a guest that we've had before. If you remember, Gordon talk, spoke to us last time about the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, but yeah, tonight, yeah. yeah, but tonight... You and I have often spoke about Borley, Borley Rectory, um, the most haunted house in England, as being a landmark case in psychical research. However, in the 18, late 1890s, the SPR were involved in a similar case in that a group of investigators took rental of a property uh, in, this, in Scotland um, and they conducted a an investigation that lasted for several months. The how it was it was published in a book and serialised in the Times newspaper. Caused a little bit of controversy when they did it, uh, and it was B House because it was supposed to be anonymous. And I know somebody who's visited the site of the house, and somebody who, like me, has taken a very keen interest in this particular case. 
he did speak to us about the Loch Ness Monster and Gordon and I have spoken at length about Bee House in the past. So we're both hoping that our memory uh, on, of the case is up to scratch and we've both got our copies of the, of the, of the book available to hand. So good evening, Gordon. Gordon Rutter. Hi there, Steve. Hi, John. Good to see you guys. Go on. Change my name. Ron, uh, you change Ron, your... Ron. Uh, uh, Ron. <laughs> no, no, don't, oh. don't, Gordon, don't apologise. He does it to almost every guest who gets the name wrong. So. Revenge of the guests. Yeah. Do you, would you like to um, sort of give people a background to Bee House? Yeah. Um, uh, Spe- Blackin oh, House. Oh, there oh, we are, just giving the, the oh, name oh, away. Stop interrupting. Before you do that, uh, why don't you introduce yourself as far as uh, your involvement in, in what you do? And, I, and the last time we talked to you, it was all about, uh, you know, Loch Ness monsters, yada, yada. So, I mean, now we're talking about ghosts. So, you know, how are you connected to ghosts? And, and uh, I assume it's got something to do with the SPs, SPR. So why don't you just mention the SPR for those who are just tuning in for the first time? Yeah, no problem. Um, as you've already said, my name's Gordon Rutter, and I've I've been interested in the paranormal pretty much all of my life. I can't actually remember what it was that, that got me interested in it initially, but I do remember going to the local library and just ploughing through any books they had on paranormal, UFOs, Loch Ness Monster, Ghosts, you name it. And at the time, I was just a kid, I was just in the junior section of the library, and they could see that I was interested, I was reading these books, and they, they were quite happy to encourage that, as you can imagine. And they, they let me into the adult's library. As It sounds terrible, that, doesn't it? Uh, they let me into the grown-up section of the library where I, where I was able to get out the, the same sorts of books there. Uh, so I've been interested in this sort of thing literally all my life. Um, I've, I run a group up here in Edinburgh in Scotland called the Edinburgh Fortean Society and we meet on the second Tuesday of every month so we've got a meeting next week there's a quick plug um, and we meet every month and we have talks just like the sort of things that you have on the, on the show every time but you know in real life with the people standing right in front of us as it were um, and because I, I now live in Scotland, I'm not a native of Scotland, as you may guess from my accent, but as I now live here, I've, I've spent a lot of time travelling around. And I'm lucky in that my wife is interested in exactly the same sort of things. It's, it's actually ultimately how we met, but that's another story. But whenever we go on holiday, we always try and take in anything of a mysterious nature, whether it be stone circles, whether it be famous haunted places whether it be Loch Ness or anything like that so we always go to these places and you know try and immerse ourselves in them and you know just get a an impression of of what the area is like and how that can perhaps color the perceptions that people have I I first went to Loch Ness to go back to that as a as a kid and actually slept through our, our family drive past Loch Ness and my parents didn't uh, didn't wake me up for which I've never forgiven them. Um, but last year was the 80th anniversary of the, the first sighting of the modern era of the Loch Ness monster, and myself and a fellow paranormal chap, uh, Charles Paxton, we came up with the idea to 
to host a conference as part of the Edinburgh International Science Festival about the Loch Ness Monster. And, and that was really why I was talking about, about Nessie last year, part of the 80th celebrations, part of the stuff to do with the science festival. So that was, that was really quite nice, getting, uh, getting Nessie in a science festival rather than in some sort of paranormal arena. A few years prior to that, I'd co-organised with Richard Wiseman and Caroline Watt uh, an, a similar event, but looking at ghosts, again, in the Edinburgh International Science Festival. And that was called Hauntings. And it was just a, a roundup of ghosts and ghostly things. And we got hundreds of photographs of ghosts sent into that. Uh, we got many people telling us stories as well. And we got a wide range of people talking on on lots of different aspects of ghosts and hauntings, again, as part of the Edinburgh Science Festival. So, you know, sh showing people that you can be interested in these things, you can investigate them in a scientific manner. And it was probably around that time I went on holiday up to the sort of area that that bee house is in. And we were staying in a little log cabin. If any of you have ever seen the film The Ring, think of the log cabin that was in that. That's pretty much what we're like. And we were right on the banks of the River Tay. And one day as we were out driving in the car, I came across this, this big stone sign outside a house which said Belekin House. And I, I knew it. I, I knew the story. And... I was under the impression at that time that it, it, it had gone and no longer existed. So... Hello? I started, I'm sure most old, and I see the Hello? Yeah, I could see the house through the trees, and I sort of wandered up through the trees, had a look uh, from the driveway, and it was a very modern house. too modern to be... Um, to the actual in the hauntings case. I went and I found that this particular house was actually built in the 1960s, so it wasn't the house, but it was built on the exact site. And subsequently, I found out that some of the servants' quarters from the original house, the walls of those, survived the fire that took place in 1963, and they were actually incorporated into, into the new house. And at the end of, of this hour, some of some of your listeners might be, you know, really taken by Belekin House and really taken by the idea of the investigation that took place. And they may wish to repeat that, but perhaps on a bigger scale. And I literally found out today that up until relatively recently, Belekin House is actually up for sale. It appears to have been withdrawn from the market, but not actually sold. So if anyone had a few, uh, few pounds, a few dollars, whatever, and they wanted to get in and buy up Belekin House, the current owners may well be open to offers. And if you want anyone to come and investigate it, I'm sure Steve and I would be there <laughs> like a shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder if you could rent it for a year. Ah, there's there's precedent. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, yeah. But the reason we want to investigate it so desperately is because it was, uh, as I said earlier, 
Um, you know, everybody remembers Borley. Uh, you know, everybody knows about Price. He took rental of Borley Rectory for a year, and he carried out what was considered to be the first of the modern era uh, investigations. And uh, it's it's a label that I'm happy to give uh, to give to Harry. But over f- almost fifty years earlier, another group of investigators went along, took rental of a property. They documented their experiences and indeed took along some equipment uh, in order to measure some of their uh, experiences to try and document them objectively. That's the case, isn't it, Gordon? That's right, yeah. I think um, one of the reasons that... um, uh, (laughs) Total blank, sorry. One of the reasons that... Bolekin House is perhaps less well known, even though, as you just said, it was 50 years prior and it was, I guess, a more intense investigation uh, at the time. I think one of the reasons it's less well known is simply that the the people involved were not the self-publicists that Harry Price was. I'm not putting that as a negative on Harry Price. I'm just making it as a a pure statement. Yeah. I mean, it's also perfectly true. I think uh, if you actually read the book, a book is available, and it's available as a free download e-book. It's called The Alleged Haunting of Bee House. Um, It's one of the most impenetrable books on haunting. I think it's possible to read. Um, because all of the uh, people in it, and indeed the places, the house itself, are all given letter uh, pseudonyms to protect the anonymity of the of the building. Um, and of course, trying to get Colonel M from Colonel D and Miss M from Mr McP, and the way it's written, it makes the whole thing. It doesn't flow like Price's books on Borley, but nonetheless. Um, I think if we just, I'll just give a little bit of background to the case. Um, in the, the the house originally was built in, I think, 1806, adjacent to an earlier building from the 16th century, and had been well known in the local in the locality as having a haunting, and the stories that inevitably grow up around these these uh, sort of houses. They vary from there was a child thrown off a bridge, um, there was a priest murdered, that there was a nun murdered, that there was all sorts of nefarious activities taking place in and around the hotel. Uh, hotel? In, in and around the house. Which uh, it, all, it all really came to a head. The house itself, um, it all really started in the 1870s when it was... Uh, I can't remember his name. My mind's gone blank now. Colonel <laughs> H. <laughs> Colonel H's family took took uh, took it as a shooting lodge, and although they themselves reported many phenomena associated uh, with the house, they tried to play down the haunting, and they let it out uh, as a shooting lodge to friends. Uh, members of the family and the the other well-to-do gentry. And the legend persisted up until the 1890s, when I think in 1897, the Marquis of Butte, uh, who was a member of the Society for Psychical Research and very well-connected in British society, had an interest in the case, and he uh, was able to secure 
the shoot the the rental of the property for uh, an unspecified period, which I think ran to about four months in total. And during that time, uh, although he visited him frequently, a number of people, uh, including Sir Oliver Lodge and Frederick Myers, who were founder members of the Society for Psychical Research, spent time documenting their experiences uh, at Balekin. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, one of the to, to go back to your point about the the book being almost impenetrable because <laughs> every page has a, a, a letter followed by several dashes, and the dashes <laughs> don't bear any relation to the number of letters in no, the word either. No, they don't. Um, I find it really bizarre because if you look back in the literature, various things w- were already uh, print. For yeah. example, I've got um, I've got a copy of the Journal of the Society for Psychical Research from April ni- eighteen ninety three in front of me here, um, and it's, it's talking about various poltergeist cases. And it says at the end of it, they consist mainly of percussive and explosive sounds and bear generally a very great resemblance to those which Father Hayden heard at Balekin, which he detailed <laughs> to Mr. Huggins and myself, and of which I wrote an account to Mr. Myers. So, you know, even in 1893, it was being written about. And when the whole thing kicked off and uh, Colonel Taylor booked the house for his for his ghost hunting party, um, courtesy of, of, of one or two little white lies, admittedly. Um, when that all kicked off, it then proceeded to give a, a, a whole series of letters, a whole discussion, yeah. a whole yeah. argument about it in the Times newspaper. Exactly. And, and, and in the Times you know, newspaper, of course, it, there was no attempt at any, at any form of censorship. Exactly. And And the book comes out after the Times publication. Exactly. The the Times publication was 1897. The book came out in 1900. So by the time the book came out, anyone who wanted to find any of the details could instantly get them. You know, not even having to go to the problem of looking up on the Internet. It It was dead easy. So I find it bizarre that they've gone down that whole route. Oh, the, imp- the, the impenetrable, yeah, the impenetrable joys of the SPR. But I mean, even even the uh, the, ch- the lead investigator Ada Goodrich Freer referred to herself actually on the title page of the book as Miss X. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, you're bringing out a book of that length, showing the work that you've done, and you're presumably proud of this work. Um, you're going to want to get some sort of recognition because, uh, okay, I know lots of things kicked off and eventually uh, Ada left the SPR and and basically had nothing to do with these sorts of investigations again. But I'm guessing at the time that the book came out, she was still wholeheartedly behind it. And, and, you know, I would have expected her to, to try and reap the rewards, as it were, whatever they may have been. Before we actually go on to the case itself, what is interesting, though, in reading the book, uh, and as I say, it is available as a free ebook download um, because original copies are, are still available, but they are somewhat scarce. That um, towards the end of the book, actually, um, Miss X, Ada Goodrich Freer, the way she writes about the visits of Lodge and Myers uh, and other members of the Society for Psychical Research is actually there's a disparaging undertone. Um, and and a sort of hint that they're not quite the right people to be investigating this sort of case. 
I, I think that was was pretty much mutual uh, ultimately, um, because again, looking at um, some of the the correspondence in the Society for Psychical Research's publications of the time, they're talking about um, the fact that some of the people doing these investigations were were not the right sort of people, they were a bit lax, and the SPR are actually trying to, to distance themselves from it. Um, I've got some minutes here from a July 1897 council meeting. <laughs> a discussion took place about the inquiry into the alleged haunting of Belekin House, of which an anonymous account appeared in the Times during the month of June. Ada's basically diary before she ever wrote the book was serialized uh, during mm. June in the Times. It was decided to print a statement in the journal explaining that the council was free of all responsibility in that matter. In other words, it wasn't done under their auspices. Um, it was just done by people who were members of yeah. the SPR, and in the case of Lord Bute, he was actually the um, honorary secretary of the SPR at the time, so quite a um, quite a uh, an upstanding member. But the council, I think, because of the reading between the lines, I think because of the the fuss and the kickoff in the in the Times, were trying to distance them, distance themselves from it. Well, Myers even goes as far as to write to the Times and publicly distances the SPR from. Um, the bee house furore yep. that had kicked off in the times. <laughs> it's got nothing yeah. to do with us. I went there, but had nothing whatsoever to do with us. The big boys did it, and then they ran away. Exactly. But and, I, I, I guess we, we really ought to, because you and I are talking like, we do know about the case, but there was an awful lot to attract the investigators um, f- up there, there wasn't there? a lot of very interesting phenomena took place at Bee House. That's right. I mean, you, you've already mentioned the fact that there were um, th- there were local stories in the area about all sorts of things that had happened, and most of it seems to have started with the death of Major Robert Stewart. Um, he was a he was a, a major in the army. He served in India. And whilst he was in India, he got a lot of um, got a lot of interest in reincarnation, and basically the the whole he bought into the whole Indian mysticism events there. And when he came back, he he had Belekin House. He lived there, and he kept himself to himself on the whole. A little bit of a scandal with one of the servants, but we'll brush over that. Um, And he he kept a huge menagerie of dogs in particular at the house. And he absolutely loved his dogs. And this this gave him a bit of a a reputation as an eccentric in the area. And what eventually happened was he, he was saying that he loved his dogs so much that when he died, he wanted to be reincarnated as a dog, as specifically as one of his own dogs. And when he eventually died in 1876, his nephew, 
took over the house, and his nephew actually changed his na- his surname to Stuart. Uh, I don't know if that was stipulated in the will or something, but for whatever reason, 1876, his nephew changed uh, changed his surname. But that wasn't the first thing the nephew did. The very first thing <laughs> the nephew actually, yeah, yeah, you know what's going on, you sick person, sick it's not funny at all, Steve. It is. <laughs> um, <laughs> the very first thing this nephew did upon inheriting this house and knowing of his uncle's wishes, he rounded up all of the dogs, all of these dogs that his uncle absolutely loved, all of the dogs that he doted on, one of which was presumably going to be his uncle reincarnated. And what did he do? He shot them all. Every single one of those 14 dogs he shot just to make damn sure his uncle didn't come back. Pretty much a case of, it's my house, it's nothing to do with you now, Governor. And some people link this as being the start of of all of the events. And all sorts of different possibilities are put forward. Things like the shooting of the dogs was done so quickly and so efficiently that it took place before Major Stewart could actually reincarnate in one of the dogs. Consequently, he was left as an incarnate spirit and w- was just in the spirit world and was able to do mischief because he'd been aggrieved, because his wishes had been disrespected, and because he'd basically been robbed of a body as well. Uh, some people will say that he had actually incarnated in one of the dogs and when they're talking about the various phenomena that take place, they do describe them in the terms of of being caused by a dog, if you like. So when there are rattlings against the door, rather than saying the handle rattled or the top of the door was seen to shake, it's always described as the bottom part of the door was thudding as, as if the body of a dog was bursting against it. And there's lots of descriptions of the very characteristic smell of a wet dog as well. Indeed, there's one sighting as well, isn't there, of... Um, it was Ada, uh, Miss, Miss, Miss Goodridge Freer's dog, Spooky, uh, encountering a the, the phantom of a black spaniel, which was the Colonel's favourite dog. Exactly, yeah. It's supposedly the one that he wanted to incarnate into. So, you know, was it him coming back in the form of, of the dog? Had he managed it or what? But, you know, as as a... a an investigator into matters of this nature who presumably wants to be taken seriously would you really call your actually you probably would yeah, would you, you really would. call your dog spooky yeah yeah okay. probably yeah. <laughs> we've got an ad break coming up but afterwards i think we should also because the phenomena that took place and i think what interests me most about this case and its parallels to borley is the fact that they wanted to use, in fact, they did use certain types of equipment in order to, because the investigators were really quite sceptical. Um, they put a lot of it down to hallucination, to expectation, even thought transference. But they did make um, an attempt to take up scientific equipment, uh, which we'll talk about after the break, in order to try and document some of these interesting phenomena. Um, and I think that sets it apart from many of the, the 
other types of investigations that the Society for Psychical Research was involved in at that era. Well, we'll have and to it, talk about that after the break, because we have to take a break right now. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and our very special guest, Gordon Potter, right here on Ghost Correct, Ghost Channel and Beyond. Right Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give the awards to the Parax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so, yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And the beating of Ron Kolek's frozen heart signals us back into part two of Ghost Chronicles International. You're listening to us live, hopefully, or on the podcast on Togginet, Para-X, the Ghost Channel, and beyond. And our guest tonight is Gordon Rutter, who, as a member of the Edinburgh 14th uh, Society, founder member, I think, and a fellow member of the Society for Psychical Research, has also taken a great interest in a landmark psychical research case. 
Balekin House or Bee House, which was investigated in the 1890s, 1897 to be precise, by members of the Society for Psychical Research who later tried to distance themselves from it. I think that's where we're up to, aren't we, Gordon? Pretty much so. I mean, we we keep saying it was investigated. I think I think we need to give people some indication of how big this investigation was. Um, the house was rented by Colonel Taylor using uh, the Marquis of Butte's money, and Colonel Taylor said, "Oh yes, my family and I are going to come up, and we're going to do a bit of hunting, shooting, and fishing, which is the the sort of thing one does in that area." So so nobody batted an eyelid. It was rented from agents in in London. It was rented for I think it was three months and um colonel taylor wasn't actually married colonel taylor didn't like hunting shooting or fishing so basically he lied to get into the house and when they got the house they they brought in a whole set of servants so that everyone there would be in um you know in the lap of luxury pretty much and Basically, over the over the time, there were something like forty or yeah. fifty people who were actually involved in this investigation over the two or three months that it took place. So it was a, a truly massive thing. The the book is full of the t- uh, comings and goings. I mean, some of them were only there a night or two, but uh, Goodridge Freer and uh, Miss Moore, they yeah. they were there for all bar. Uh, I think about eight or ten days, but. The, it was it was the nature of the phenomena, first of all, that attracted them. I mean, it had been reported locally as haunted. It was well known back in the eight, as far back uh, as the eighteen forties, and certainly in the eighteen seventies. And the Marquis of Butte himself was aware of the case in eighteen ninety two. Uh, so that's fully seven years prior to the investigation taking place. Um, but do you want to just run through some of the phenomena, I, I, which which are extensive, but. Uh, I mean, we have the usual ones, but it was unique, or fairly unique, in in these percussive sounds, wasn't it? Yeah, there, there were lots of bangings, and at various times people tried to explain them away as, you know, the same sort of explanations people come up with now in, in terms of, of the banging of water pipes and things like that. But when they talked to each other, people in adjacent rooms one person or one group, one room, would hear the bangings and the people next door would not hear them, even though they appeared to be coming from between the rooms. So each of the two rooms should hear them equally. So so you've got these typical, you know, poltergeist raps, I suppose we could recall them now. Um, and you've got those happening that are heard by some people and not by others. You've You've got some events that were witnessed routinely by some people in certain rooms take those people out put somebody else in and nothing was happening so were some people more sensitive to whatever was happening were some people acting as conduits i've no idea but you know as well as as the bangings that some people thought might be pipes but but couldn't couldn't prove it because others were not hearing them you had bangings against doors but I'm not talking of knockings. I'm talking of the sort of bang that you would get if somebody bodily threw themselves against a door. And as I've previously mentioned, a lot of people, because they were they were thinking of the story of the dogs from 1876, a lot of people were describing these these bangings, this this 
pushing against the door as happening at the lower part of the door and they were able to localize the sounds there not actually seeing anything in those instances but you know was that a situation where if they hadn't known that story if they'd gone in completely cold would they have still been able to localize it to that region or would it have been something you know a bit more general in the door but we've also got you know we've got all the staples that we that we think of in poltergeist cases and in hauntings in general as well um we've got people lying in bed and and having bed clothes pulled off them during the night when no one else is there um we've got haunted uh, we've got apparitions of dogs i think only one occasion of that actually happened uh we've we've got the classics from the horror movies yeah as well. we've got we've got, we've got the got limping man we've got the limping man limping around people's beds you know the sort of standard as you as you go along the clip clop that we that we all know from the movies yeah that was happening around people's beds they could follow where the sounds were coming from yet they could not see anything there, there was a, a report of a hunchback disappearing through a door uh whilst the door was closed a hunchback disappearing through a door while the door's open isn't <laughs> scary um we've got gray ladies <laughs> we've got gray ladies um Colonel, uh, sorry, Major Stewart, gave him a promotion there. Major Stewart's sister was a nun who committed suicide. So some people think that they were also seeing her as well. Um, Ada and, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? the other woman? Um, Cameron. Miss Moore, Cameron Moore. Um, they, Constance Moore, not Cameron Moore, sorry. Constance Moore. Uh, they were out walking in one of the local local areas next to a stream, and they witnessed a nun. Was that part of the phenomena? Was it something unrelated? Was it uh, Stuart's sister, or, or, or what? I don't know. That nun, know. The nun actually features... Uh, whenever Ada went out almost to order, she could see the, the nun. And in fact, during the final exorcism, the nun... And the grey lady both arrived at the window, didn't they, to put in a sort of farewell performance? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. But Ron, do you, do you have cases like this in America? No. Um, so, anyways, Gordon, I have one question. You said the SBR kind of distanced itself. Why? Why did they do that? I, I think it was probably to do with all the furore that was that was kicking up in the letters pages of the Times, and the fact that basically Colonel Taylor and Marcus of Butte had had basically lied to get access to the house, and um, you know the actual owner of the house was was not impressed with this, and this was what the the majority of the correspondence was relating to. So the 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 SPR quite rightly in in some senses wanted to see themselves as being an organization that was was blameless uh so that when they came out with with evidence and proof of certain things nobody could point at them and say oh yeah they're the ones who lied to get into that house and things <laughs> like that so you know it was it was kind of i think you know trying to second guess people over 100 years ago difficult but i think it was possibly just a a, a face saving um 
attempt to try to make sure that their reputation remain remain solid because they set themselves up as a very scientific organization and a number of the people who were in the SPR and indeed now in the SPR were you know leading scientists of the time and they, who, they, who went to back Balakian house indeed yeah that, <laughs> You know, William Crookes and people like that turned up. Uh, Sir William Crookes, knighthood, uh, discovered one of the elements in the periodic table and all this sort of thing. So these are legitimate scientists who, if they were caught up in something that could be described as, as underhand and a bit of subterfuge, particularly perhaps in the Victorian era, is something that could, could lead to them, um, you know, losing face, which was a big thing. Perhaps not a, a revolver, a, a loaded revolver left on the on the table when they go to bed or something but you know definite snubbing at, at ascot and things i think there was also another angle uh, that, that might be affecting the spr's approach to this case and that was at the time there was a schism developing within the spr um between those who were should we say supportive of spiritualist phenomena uh, and the the survival aspect of of psychical research and those who were more following the idea that it was uh, a psychological uh, approach and at that time there was there was a number of uh, meetings there was a number of articles produced within the uh, within the journals that that were slightly more disparaging towards spontaneous case research and i think that has to be factored into it too because lodge uh, sir oliver lodge the, the probably one of the greatest physicists who've ever lived, was part of the investigation process at Bee House. Uh, and he was quite comfortable uh, to write his accounts, whereas Myers, um, because Lodge was a survivalist, albeit, and a physicist, uh, whereas Myers took great pains to distance himself and the society from, from the events at Bee House. Yeah, I mean, it, it could... You know, put in that context, it could have been something that basically pulled the society apart and and gave a schism that they never recovered from. But fortunately, that never happened because, as, as Steve's already mentioned, the the SPR is still going strong and uh, still publishing on on matters of this uh, this interest, and also having uh, conferences and monthly meetings and so on. So, I, th I think. Yeah, there were there were issues because of the personalities that involved, but fortunately, for whatever reasons, they did not allow this to pull the society apart. So let me uh, the data that was collected is we can only access that in a book now. There is no other; otherwise, the SBI doesn't have any records of the raw data or anything else like it does in many of their other cases. The SPR's raw data is all held in a library at Cambridge. Oh, sorry, the majority of the raw data from the <coughs> early years is held in Cambridge. And that is accessible by prior agreement. I don't know what exists. Steve, do you have any idea? Um, <clears throat> not specifically about Bee House, but um, I understand that actually in terms of what's published in the book – it does constitute almost the entire journal of, of, of Ada and does also talk about the letters between... Now, those letters yep. to, to Butte from uh, different members of the investigation uh, 
process rather than team. Uh, I'm not part of the SPR archive. There, some of them actually do exist in, I think, uh, Cardiff Library, because Butte, the Marquis of Butte uh, was was basically the founder of Cardiff, um, which is the capital of Wales now. Um, and so a lot of the city archives of Cardiff do have his personal uh, notes and letters. And I think some of the there is actually a file pertaining to his interest in psychical research. So the archive is split unfortunately it's not all in one place but the book does contain essentially uh the entire investigation there is no sort of bulk of material hidden away okay so once again would you give out the title of the book and is this available anywhere so that someone could research it yep if you if you type in uh the alleged haunting of b hyphen house uh and uh, prefix that with free ebook you will find it project gutenberg has it and numerous other sites have it it's the alleged haunting of b house by ada goodrich freer miss x and the marquis of butte john crichton stewart the third that's marquis the of butte fella. that's the fella <laughs> or butty but- so. <laughs> no, no. Um, just a just point of interest here. I used to share a flat with the uh, with the Marcus of Butte's daughter, so please, no, no jocular familiarity like that, Steve. Okay, so he, <laughs> just he's, that not related, he's not related to the Earl of Sandwich, then. We haven't got the uh, the Marquis of Butty. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, the American, well, to, our, to our American, yeah, to our American listeners, uh, Butty is a, a British English euphemism, Northern English euphemism for a sandwich, which of course is well known for being named after the Duke of Wellington. <laughs> ah, pass me a Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said at the start, um, they used equipment, didn't they? One of the things that they were very keen on uh, taking into Belekin was uh, a phonograph, a wax, a, wax, a wax cylinder phonograph, because they had this notion of being able to record these anomalous voices and percussive sounds and footsteps. Uh, and so they, there was an attempt made, unfortunately... Um, if, if my chron- chronology is correct, they, they, uh, they only came up with the idea of the phonograph after it had leaked into the Times. Um, and so the whole, uh, uh, the whole thing fell apart. But they had taken up two other pieces of equipment, hadn't they, that they'd acquired. Yeah, I mean, with, with the phonograph for a moment there, um, just to stress, it's not an issue of, of an early attempt at EVP. They were actually no, no. He- hearing these sounds at the time, and they were just trying to record them um, yeah. as evidence. So it was sounds that were being heard at the time, rather than trying to catch uh, material that's that's not audible at that at the time. I'm right. glad you added that bit because we would have thrown a false line of hope there to the EVP. No, it was <laughs> AVP, right? Basically, AVP. No, yes. no, just yeah. just well, sounds. Yeah, audio voices are no, even voices. Yeah, but AV, uh, EVPs can be other than voices as well. Uh, that's just a general catch-all for the, the term. In other words, you can have uh, yeah. noises as EVPs as well. We have this great universal catch-all already. It's called sound. Whatever. Anyway, but they uh, 
this is related to my area of interest and why I, uh, why I take a, a special interest in, in Bee House is because, uh, you know, I have a passionate interest in low-frequency sound and vibration or infrasound. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it many, many times. And up at Bee House, it was uh, suggested, it was hypothesized by some of the investigators that uh, it was possibly uh, located close to uh, an earth, a fault in the Earth's crust. And so they went off and they found themselves some seismometers in order to be able to measure these low-frequency vibrations of the Earth's crust, which may Were have been in these... Pardon? Were they able to, and what was the result? Uh, they did take seismographs. They got, as far as I'm aware, no uh, useful data from the seismographs, but they did succeed in speaking to a professor um, of geology who said, yes, you're in exactly the right place. Yes, uh, there were 435 miniature earthquakes which uh, have resulted in sounds being reported, but no shaking being observed. Um, and he fully expected that many of these sounds, these deep, not the door knocking, obviously, in the dogs and the footsteps, but these very deep sounds like petards or barisal guns. Uh, a barisal gun is simply an effect where the, the water rushes into a cave, uh, compresses the air and makes a sort of popping, rumbling sound along the coast. But I think, I hope, yeah. Um, but he he said that a lot of these very sort of uh, Gordon would understand some of them were re- were recorded or reported as being like the Edinburgh gun at one o'clock gun at a distance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so they, I think this, this idea that you could document stuff um, lodge himself while he's there. He actually goes on record as saying he's heard the sounds. He's heard the, uh, the, the knocking and the rapping, which he said sounded intelligent, but he, he said of the of the rest, there was nothing there that um, of a physical nature that he could that he felt he could investigate. Hmm. With with the seismograph there, I think we've all probably got an idea of of a of what a seismograph looks like and how it operates at modern times. But <laughs> in, in the book, there's actually a description of the seismograph that they, that they use. And if I could just read it out, it just sounds fantastic. Yeah. Lord Butte has asked me to describe a seismographic insta- instrument which I used during my short visit to Balekin. The instrument consisted of a light wooden frame or platform which rested on three billiard balls. The balls in their turn rested on a horizontal plate of plate glass. Through two wire rings in the centre of the platform already mentioned, a needle stood perpendicularly, resting on its point on the plate of glass. The centre of the plate of glass and the area around it and within, in the triangle describable with the balls at its angles, <gasps> what was smoked. So it was smoked glass. You will see that the parts of such an instrument are held together by gravitation and a very little friction and that a tremor communicated to the plate will not simultaneously affect the platform. 
The needle point describes on the smoked surface which it moves across the converse of any movement of the plate which is not simultaneously a movement of the platform. And the error between this and the description of the tremor drawn by an absolutely fixed point, say the earth itself, has been calculated on a replica of this instrument as equal to the error of a pendulum 30 feet long. Flippinek, they used a plate of glass that somebody had held a candle over so it became smoked. They used that balanced on three billiard balls with a pendulum above it resting you, on top you, of it you, just just before just before you dis, you're slightly disparaging about that i'm side not of it. disparaging I'm, that i think it's brilliant i've got one <laughs> <laughs> made by made made by cambridge instruments it's a cell it's it's uh it, it's about 10 years later uh but that type of seismograph was in use until the 1950s no um brilliant way to do it i i love the inventive simplicity absolute Ever simplicity forget the geophones boys and girls yeah damn right how much did that flipping um you know ultrasound equipment you've got cost you could have just used uh, there you just, go so well, don't have to <laughs> no I, I i actually found mine on ebay and it's the same model um it's 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 about 10 years later but uh, in production date but it's exactly the same model and it is in fact just let's say two flat flat surfaces um the description of billiard balls i mean they're not off the shelf billiard balls or off the billiard table billiard balls they're um they're, they're, they're machined baker like plastic um spheres um, I think the the use of the word the term billiard ball was probably for the Marquis's benefit, uh, yes. but one 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 of these flat platforms moves above the other, and uh, the the pointed surface of the pendulum basically etches into the into the soot on the glass surface beneath it. And when you finish with it, you can photograph the plate, so you've got a record um, on the plate, and then of course you just smoke it with a new candle, yep. and uh, and start again. Yep. Ultimate recycling. Totally, totally. It's just brilliant. I love. I genuinely love the idea of using something like that. Um, and you know, you, you mentioned the geology of the area and the various professors that they consulted. Um, relatively speaking, the the location we're talking about is not that far from Loch Ness, and Loch Ness is caused by the the joining of two tectonic plates of the earth so you know movement of those plates causing earth tremors we don't really get major earthquakes in this country thankfully uh but movement of those plates causing small tremors which could be affecting areas as far away as as Belekin house i don't have a problem with that but you know i'm not saying that's the explanation but Gordon, I find that interesting because uh, there are many areas, uh, for instance, we have the Bridgewater Triangle here in Massachusetts, th- that it seems like a lot of different types of paranormal activity occur in this area. Uh, you know, you have like Bigfoot, you have, uh, you know, ghosts, you have Pukwudgies, you have different things. So do you think the geographic location is is having effects on the different types of paranormal activity that are they're occurring in that area i mean one of the things that when you go back through the literature has been has been present um for hundreds of years are, are the sort of um hot spots you know just as you described areas where lots of different things happen and mm-hmm. i think 
some of that now is possibly feeding back on itself in that people know where these areas are and if you you know if you go there expecting to to see phenomena then something under other circumstances that might be easily explainable in this instance because of the history of that area you you might give it a paranormal explanation which in other locations you wouldn't have but I mean, even going back to all the old folk tales, there there are the liminal areas, the area that's... Keep talking. Was, was yeah. that a forbidden word? Um... No, that was, that was the pizza bell. That's your two-minute warning. That's the doorbell, uh, which means we've got to wrap it up. So anyways, that's the doorbell, and the pizza from the dead is here, so we do have to wrap it up. Uh, our guest today has been uh, Gordon Rudder. Uh, Gordon, do you have a yes, website no. or anything? Beg your pardon? Do you have a website or anything you'd like to uh, mention? Um, yeah, uh, my own personal website's fairly easy. It's gordonrutter.com. And also, if I could mention the Edinburgh Fortune Society for anyone who's living in the in in this sort of area or even visiting this area, if you do a search for Edinburgh Fortune Society, we have monthly meetings discussing just these sort of topics. So people who enjoy this show will love the Edinburgh Fortune Society as well. And I think as well, in terms of uh, web links, I think we should also give out a link to the Society for Psychical Research also. Uh, which is www.spr.ac.uk. There you go. So I also want to mention that uh, tomorrow, of course, is another live broadcast of uh, the Ghost Chronicles Next Generation TV edition, and that is available here on Tojanet and also on East Bridgewater uh, Television. And uh, the also you can still hear the audio on uh, PowerX and Ghost Channel and so forth. And our special guest will be uh, the great Viano, who is a magician and a Houdini expert. So we will be talking all about Harry Houdini and uh, the spiritualist church and and ghosts and the the relationship between the two and magic. And he will actually be doing some uh, magic tricks as well on the show. So uh, tune in tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, and if you can listen, fine. If you want to go to this website or um, the East Bridgewater Community TV website, it will also be broadcast from there live as well. So, um, Gordon, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. As always, you've been very interesting. I I was quiet today because I found everything you you had to say very interesting. Uh, Thanks very much, Ron. It's been my pleasure to be there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, cheers, all- Gordon. Pleasure. Good night. God bless. Yep. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.